Well, I'm thankful for the opportunity to uh, have the pulpit while uh, Lance is away. You can be praying for Lance and Leanne as they take their number three test to school. Uh, You can be praying for them because that is an exciting day, a day of great joy. But it is also a day of great mourning, a day of great pain as a child leaves. My son is about to leave, and I've been getting a little choked up. But I won't tell him. I just tell him my eyes are sweating when he walks into a room uh, as he heads out to school. So be in prayer for Lance and Leanne. If you would, take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Nehemiah. Book of Nehemiah. As you're turning there, I want you to begin to think about what God has called you to do. As a believer, what is your calling? You have been saved from sin And you have been saved to heaven, but you've also been saved and sanctified for a very specific purpose. God has called each of us to a life of a relationship with him, one where we worship him through listening to his word declared from from the Bible, where we meditate on him and his word, where we commune with him in prayer, where we grow in our love for him and are conformed into the image of his son. We are called to a life of witness, a life of evangelizing the lost, of being salt and light in the darkness. We're called to a life of purity and righteousness, obeying his commands, doing what he commands, and abstaining from those things that he forbids. We're called to a life of joy, A life of trusting in him, depending on him, and resting in his sovereignty, wisdom, and love. And and not having a need for anxiety. We're called to love our neighbor. To those that we come in contact, to thinking of their needs more important than our own. We're to, to love our neighbors, those that we would describe as friends and those that we would recognize as our enemies. As Spouses, we are called to love and sacrifice and support and minister to one another. As parents, we are called to raise our children in the fear and admonition of the Lord and share Christ and disciple our children as they come to Christ. As children, we're called to respect and to obey our parents. By way of work, we're called to be faithful employees or employers and work for the Lord rather than for men And as churchmen, we are called to serve God through the use of our gifts, talents, and resources in the local church. Our calling is a significant one. Our calling, in some sense, is a daunting one. And yet, God calls us to that each and every day, and in each and every one of those particular areas. It is good for us to think of our calling, and it is good for us to take time and recognize where we are in that calling. How are we doing? What grade would we give us, ourselves on those particular areas? And then begin to think, then begin to pray on how we would go about growing in those areas, changing in those areas, maturing in those areas, and moving on from where we are to where we will be. Well, the scripture lays out two equally important requirements for us to accomplish those tasks. For us to accomplish our calling. And those two equally important requirements are dependency and diligence. There is to be a balance that believers have between depending on the Lord 
and being disciplined and uh, diligent to do the work. Hard work is a biblical principle that is found throughout the pages of Scripture as we must make every effort. We must discipline ourselves for the purpose of godliness. We must labor to the point of exhaustion. But the Bible also directs us that it is God who does the work. It is God, the, it is God who is the one who accomplishes all in and through us. Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 speaks of this balance perfectly. It says, So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Unfortunately, however, you and I tend to fall on one side of these types of pursuits. We, we kind of lean over to the diligence element and we work and we work and we work and we strive and we strive and we strive and we do and we do and we do. We think that through pure determination and effort, there will be change and we demonstrate very little dependence on the Lord. And if you took the Holy Spirit out of the equation, which we can't, but if you did, there would be really no difference. Or we lean over and kind of fall off the side of the road on the other side and we pray and we pray and we pray and we read and we read and we read and we wait for the Lord to work. And when opportunities arise, we abdicate our responsibility because we know God's going to work. It's like that situation in all of our lives where we have a friend, we have a coworker, we have a neighbor, and we want them to come to know the Lord, and we pray for them, and we pray for them, and we pray for them, and then we're at a particular situation, and the gospel, there's an opportunity to share the gospel, we sit there and go, Lord, save them. We find ourselves on one end of the pendulum or the other. But the Bible speaks of a balanced approach, one that has the believer working out his salvation but also recognizing that it is God who wills and works for his good pleasure. We see it in Paul's ministry and in his letters that he labored to the point of exhaustion while striving according to his power which mightily works within me. Striving speaks of diligence according to his power which mightily works within me. That speaks of that dependency. As we turn our attention to the first couple of chapters of Nehemiah this morning. I want us to learn from the example of Nehemiah as he strikes a biblical and proper balance of that dependency and that diligence. We get to see it fleshed out. How does one balance those two very important requirements in a goal, in pursuing a goal? We're given a, a timeless example of how God works through a relatively ordinary person to accomplish something extraordinary. Nehemiah's task, his obstacle, his challenge is a very different one from ours. We are not being called to reconstruct the wall around Jerusalem. We're not being called to restore the heart of God's people where they were apathetic and rebellious to their God, but we do have a task. We have a calling to complete for God's glory, and we can learn from Nehemiah's life and heart. 
as this servant balances those two requirements beautifully. Before we jump into our text, I want us to understand where Nehemiah is and what situation he is in. As we open up the pages of Nehemiah, there is a remnant of exiled Jews still in Persia. The Lord has exiled the Jews, and he has, he has taken them in discipline and judgment for their sin. And where we find ourselves is that after those 70 years of captivity, there began a, 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 a return back to the nation of Israel, back to Jerusalem. And they had started the work of, of building the temple. They had started the work of putting the walls, reestablishing the walls around the city. But they had failed. And Nehemiah is a part of the remnant that is still in Persia. And uh, Nehemiah is uh, serving the king of Persia as a cupbearer. And uh, they are in Susa, which was the winter capital of Persia in that day. And the narrative tells us that Nehemiah comes in contact with his brother who had been in Jerusalem. And Hanani reports of the state of their beloved homeland. He gives him an update. And in verse 3 of chapter 1, it says, The remnant there in the province who survived the captivity are in great distress and reproach. And the wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates are burned with fire. So Nehemiah here is confronted with the great problem that his beloved people and his beloved city are, are in distress. They are downcast. They are rejected. They are, they are surrounded by enemies. Their walls are in ruins. Their gates are in ruins. Their city is in ruins. And there is nothing good happening. And without walls and gates, there's not much hope that anything good will happen in the future. These people were in trouble. They were disgraced. They had little courage. They had little conviction. They had little care to see change of their very condition. Nehemiah seeks to bring a solution to this problem by going to Jerusalem to rebuild the walls and to restore the hearts of God's people. Now, while the book details Nehemiah's ministry in Jerusalem, I want to focus our attention on a smaller portion of that book, the time he was in Susa responding to the report he heard from his brother and the interactions he has with the king of Persia. And again, as we said earlier, our calling is going to look very different from the calling of Nehemiah. We're not facing a city in ruins, but the things God has called us to do are just as difficult and at sometimes just as daunting. And so Nehemiah demonstrates or, or shows us through his life this beautiful balance. So as we study this passage together, I want us to see Nehemiah's demonstration of the two necessary requirements for living our lives for the Lord and fulfilling his calling for our lives. And I want you to notice as we read how he strikes a proper balance between dependency on the Lord and diligence and hard work and effort and ministry. So take your Bibles and open to Nehemiah chapter 1. I'll start at verse 3. They said to me, the remnant there in the province who survived the captivity are in great distress and reproach, and the wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are burned with fire. When I heard these words, 
I sat down and wept and mourned for days. I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. I said, I beseech you, O Lord of he- God of heaven, the great and awesome God who preserves the covenant and loving kindness for those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear now be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant, which I am praying before you now, day and night, on behalf of the sons of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the sons of Israel, which we have sinned against you. I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, nor the statutes, nor the ordinances which you commanded your servant Moses. Remember the word which you commanded your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though those of you who have been scattered were in the the most remote part of the heavens, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place where I have chosen to cause my name to dwell. They are your servants and your people whom you redeemed by your great power, by your strong hand. O Lord, I beseech you, may your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and the prayer of your servants who delight to revere your name. And make your servant successful today and grant him compassion before this man. Now, I was the cupbearer of the king. And it came about in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, that wine was before him. I took up the wine and I gave it to the king. Now, I had not been sad in his presence. So the king said to me, why is your face sad though you are not sick? This is nothing but sadness of heart. Then I was very much afraid. I said to the king, let the king live forever. Why should my face not be sad? When the city, the place of my father's tombs, lies desolate, its gates have been consumed by fire. Then the king said to me, what would you request? So I prayed to the God of heaven. I said to the king, If it please the king, and if your servant has found favor before you, send me to Judah, to the city of my father's tombs, and I may rebuild, that I may rebuild. And the king said to me, the queen sitting beside him, How long will your journey be, and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me, and I gave him a definite time. And I said to the king, If it please the king, let letters be given to me for the governors of the provinces beyond the river, that they may allow me to pass through until I come to Judah, and a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress, which is by the temple, for the wall of the city and for the house to which I will go. And the king granted them to me because the good hand of my God was on me. Let's pray. Father, your sovereign hand at work in this Story is one of uh, one in which we grow in our amazement, one in which our faith is built up, one in which we see a faithful, ordinary person being used by you to do extraordinary things. Father, as we read this story and study this story together, Father, I pray that you would help us to see this beautiful balance of dependency, and diligence. 
so that we would be diligent and we would be dependent on you. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, in looking at your text in verse 4, we can see that Nehemiah was floored by the news, literally and figuratively. He was saddened, he was grieved to know what had happened to his people. It says that he mourned and that he wept and that he sat down, which in that time was a, was a physical way of demonstrating grief. He fasted and prayed because of the horrible situation that, he, that was reported to him. And in chapter 1, we see the response. And the, the first thing we see from his response is his dependence manifested. We see his dependence on the Lord as his first place he goes for help. When I heard these words, I sat down, I wept and mourned for days, and I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. This verse is so important as it directs our attention to the way in which Nehemiah did things. Notice, if you will, what came between verses 3 and 4. Verse 3 is the, is the situation in which he, is, he gets the declaration of what's going on in Jerusalem. And verse 4 is his turning to the Lord in prayer. What happened between 3 and 4 is nothing. Nothing happened. As soon as he heard, he turned to the Lord. He recognized God as the one that he must be reliant on. He heard, he grieved, he prayed. Prayer was Nehemiah's first response. It was not his last resort. I think of my own life, and I think of uh, th those times in which I am losing sight of dependency. And, and a situation arises, I notice one of those elements of my calling that needs to be strengthened, and I throw myself into it headlong. And after a couple of days or a couple of weeks of failure, I think maybe I should pray. Maybe I should ask the Lord to help me. But Nehemiah demonstrates something very, very different. He realizes that the one who could help him accomplish this amazing task was the God of heaven. Nehemiah demonstrated in this example that prayer and dependence on God is where we are to start. When we turn to the Lord and pray first, that is dependency. That is reliance. If you continue through this book, you will see that there are 12 different prayers in this book. 12 demonstrations of dependence. 12 recognitions that God is all-powerful and that for anything to happen, Nehemiah needed him to work. Yes, there was the physical uh, task of building the wall, but there was enemies surrounding that. There's morale that is not good. There are people inside and outside that are questioning his leadership and questioning what God can accomplish. And he continues to turn to the Lord as he realizes God's ability to empower him for the task. The first response that we see from Nehemiah when this trial arises is not diligence. It's not work. 
It's not doing anything. It is dependence, and that is seen in his prayer for God to help. Our text then tells us or shares with us where that came from. Why would Nehemiah go there first? Nehemiah probably never spent a day in Jerusalem up to this point. He was born and raised in Persia. He saw and knew the power of the king. He saw the power that he wielded. Why not go to him first? He had a relationship with him, right? He was the cupbearer. He was in his presence on a daily basis. It appears from what we read in chapter 2 that they had a jovial relationship. And when Nehemiah begins to be a little sad, there is an intimacy with the king that he recognized Nehemiah's sadness. So, So why not go to the king? Well, our text tells us that he was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. One gets to this point of dependency through one's knowledge and recognition of who God is. And for the remainder of this chapter, and filled in this prayer, are doctrines of God that led Nehemiah to this realization and then dependency. It's interesting that this first title of God is this uh, God of heaven. It reveals to us just whom his dependence was on and why he turned to him and why he turned to him first. He compares his power and his reign between the king that he spent time daily with, the king of this earth, the, the, the most powerful king of that day, with the God of heaven. Artaxerxes was the one that could have issued an edict declaring the walls to be rebuilt, which he eventually did. He could have financed the project, which he eventually did. He could have provided letters of, um, uh, of uh, support, which he eventually did. But Nehemiah doesn't start with him. He starts with the God of heaven and earth, the one that had the authority and power to do something, the one that was more powerful than the king of Persia. The very first thing that we see as we study this prayer, is that Nehemiah was dependent on God because he had a right view of God. Nehemiah's dependency is the result or outworking of his understanding of who God is. And in contrast, when we look at our own independence, when we look at our own imbalance with these two words, diligence and dependency, It is the result of the outworking of ignorance or apathy to God's, the doctrine of God in our life. We either don't know it, we don't meditate on it, we don't make it a part of our everyday thoughts, and therefore we turn to something that looks powerful. Or we turn to ourselves and how we think we can accomplish it. As we look at this prayer, we, we see five specific characteristics of God that led Nehemiah, or that, that he mentions in this prayer that led him to depend on him. They are essential for us to know, believe in, meditate on, uh, which will lead us to the same type of dependence that Nehemiah demonstrated. In verse 5, we see the first characteristic 
Nehemiah was turning to God because of his recognition of God's greatness. The fact that God is greater than anyone or anything. I beseech you, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome or fearful God. This awesome God to whom Nehemiah turned is in contrast to the king that he served daily. In contrast to principalities and powers, both spiritual and physical. To under, this understanding of God puts all others in their rightful place. If God is greater, why would I not then turn to him first? There is no one to turn to, no one as great, no one as awe-inspiring. The bigger our view of God is, the smaller our view of our problems are, and the greater our tendency will be to turn to him. Again, that's why we get to verse 11 when he's actually making his request known. His ver- the, the prayer starts in verse 1, or sorry, verse 5, and it ends in verse 11. And he gets to the actual request at the end. O Lord, I beseech you that your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant, and that the prayer of your servants who delight to revere your name and make your servant successful today and grant him compassion before this man. The request is, Lord, I'm going to talk to Artaxerxes, and I'm asking you that he would have compassion on me as I share my request. But Nehemiah had such a sense of who God was, and in comparison to God, everyone else was small, and that's why at the end of verse 11 it says, and grant him compassion before this man. He describes the most powerful man on the earth of, in that day as this man, this guy, this average Joe. Because in comparison to the power and strength and awesomeness of God, Artaxerxes was just this guy. Just this guy. Nehemiah turned to the Lord because he understood God's greatness. We also see in verse 5 that he turned to God in dependency because of a second characteristic, and that was a recognition of God's loyal love, his loving kindness. The Hebrew word is hesed. The word translated loving kindness means the quality that honors a covenant through thick and thin, to love someone through thick and thin. Nehemiah was focused on that quality of God that does not allow him to break from the covenant he had made. And points to the fact that this awesome and great and fearful God had placed his love upon Israel. His love upon those that submitted themselves to his word. God is a loving and faithful God and that kindness and mercy is directed to his people. And that is why Nehemiah ran to him. That is why he was dependent on him because it wasn't just a powerful God that he ran to, but it was a powerful God that loved him, that showed kindness to him, that had a relationship, a covenant relationship with him. In verses 6 through 8, we see the third characteristic that caused Nehemiah to turn to God. And that was because of his recognition of God's forgiveness. That God was a forgiving God. 
As you read verses 6 and 7, you see in Nehemiah's confession of sin. As Nehemiah sees the problem, he's reminded that God is holy and he and his people are not. The very fact that they were in Persia was because of the fact that they had rebelled against God. He knew that exile was a result of the sin of Israel. They had played the harlot. They had served other gods. And because of that, God brought down judgment to the people. And he knew that confession of that sin was required for restoration. He identifies here the sin of the people. He takes personal ownership of it in his own confession. You can notice the use of three different words for the laws of God. He says they broke the commandments of God, the decrees of God, and the laws of God. Almost poetic in, Lord, I get it. We went against your holiness. I think that it is evident from the use of these different terms that Nehemiah understood the sinfulness of his people. He doesn't hide these issues from God, but he confesses them. He is upfront and he brings his guilt to God. And Nehemiah confessed the sins of the people and his sins to God because of the knowledge of his forgiveness. He runs to a powerful God that loves him, but also a God that will forgive him. That as he fulfills this task and as he demonstrates weakness and sin, that God in his love for him will continue to forgive. That's the type of God I'm going to run to. It's the type of God that I, that, I, that I feel like I can because I recognize my own sin. We are constantly turning away and therefore we are constantly dependent on God for forgiveness. In verses 8 through 10, we see a fourth characteristic that, that caused Nehemiah to turn to God instead of his own work, instead of the power of that day. Nehemiah depended on him because of his recognition of God's faithfulness to his word. Nehemiah came to God boldly reminding him of his promise. Now, God doesn't need to be reminded, but the point here is that Nehemiah understood what God had promised in Deuteronomy chapter 28 and again in chapter 30. If the people obeyed God, he would bless them and establish them securely in the land. And if they disobeyed, he would scatter them. He scattered them in 721 B.C. when he overthrew the northern kingdom and he scattered them in 586 when, he, when the Babylonians overtook the southern kingdom. Nehemiah understood that God is a covenant-keeping God. He is a promise-keeping God. Nehemiah knew this and it led him to turn to God for his promised Finally, in verse 11, we come to the sixth and last characteristic of God that caused Nehemiah to turn to him, and that was because of his recognition of God's sovereignty over the will and mind of others. Here we see that petition for help with the appeal with the king, that the king would have compassion on him when he made his request. Nehemiah realized that for things to change, The king needed to change. The laws needed to change. The king needed 
to make decisions that were different. Proverbs 21.1 says, The king's heart is like channels of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wishes. Ezra 4 says that the king did not want the city rebuilt because he did not want them to make trouble. A strong city is an independent city. An independent city begins to think that they can handle things, and then they begin to stop paying taxes. So the king said, as they are weak, they will give me the money to help protect them, and things will stay trouble-free. But Nehemiah was going to ask for a leave of absence to accomplish the very thing the king did not want to be accomplished. And he was going to ask the king to pay for it. Hey, I need vacation, and I need paid vacation. And I need you to pay for the stuff I'm doing on vacation. He was going to ask the king for traveling documents so he could go from place to place without any entanglements. Nehemiah sought God because he knew that God was greater and that God could influence, bring about, and sovereignly intercede. Look, our calling from God is not an easy one. It's daunting. We have opposition from the devil. We have opposition from the world around us. We have opposition from our own unredeemed flesh. For us to fulfill that calling, we must turn to one that is able to accomplish that task. One who is great. One who is the the greatest place for us to receive that power. One who is powerful, but not only powerful, but one that loves us. One who is holy yet forgiving. One who is faithful. One who is sovereign over everything. We must turn to him. We must turn to him in prayer, asking for help. We must turn to him in the word, determining how that is to be accomplished and to submit ourselves to the how. For it is through his strength And his strength alone can we attain our pursuits. Nehemiah's response to his need was to turn to God in dependence. But this passage shows us, secondly, that it also includes diligence. And we see diligence manifested in chapter 2. Nehemiah prayed, he fasted, he mourned, and he simply did not just let God Let go and let God. He didn't just sit in his prayer chamber. He didn't just pray 24-7. He got busy while depending on the Lord. Our text gives us the time frame of this narrative, of these two chapters. In chapter 1, he tells us that Nehemiah heard of the condition of his beloved city and the people in the month of Chislev, which would have been around late November, early December. So think Thanksgiving. And in chapter 2, we see this situation that went on between him and the king in uh, uh, Nisan, which would have been late March, early April. Think Easter. Four months go by. Four months of mourning, four months of praying, four months of fasting. But what we'll find is four months of diligence. We see the other side of the coin, the second element of the believer's life. As as we are called to accomplish 
what the Lord has for us, there is to be dependency, but we are to work out our salvation, as Paul says in Philippians chapter 2. Not work for our salvation, to work out our salvation. We have been saved, and it is through that saving grace that now we have been empowered to work. Chapter 2, in these uh, eight verses, there, it reveals three specific things that Nehemiah endeavored to do. All the while he was praying, uh, all the while he was waiting for the Lord to open the door, uh, waiting for God to grant him compassion before the king. His dependence on God is seen in his prayer to God, but also in his faithful living of life. He faithfully did what he was called to do. He faithfully fulfilled his roles. He faithfully worked. Look at verse 1. And it came about in the month of Nisan, in uh, the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, that wine was before him. Wine was before him. His job was a cupbearer. Who brought the wine? The cupbearer. Nehemiah was doing his job. I took the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had not been sad in his presence. Four months. Three or four months. He is grieving in his heart, but he is joyfully at work. He is joyfully doing what he has been tasked to do. He is joyfully doing what God has placed him in at the moment, where he is blooming, where he is planted. He is doing his job. He is serving the king. He is ensuring his safety. He is fulfilling his requirements. Four months had passed, and in those four months, he had not stopped doing his job. He did what was required. He did it in the way that was acceptable to the king. And Nehemiah here sets the stage for how this interaction starts with Artaxerxes. And he described what led up to the conversation that had Nehemiah sharing his pain and asking for the king's help. And it involved a situation that was different from the regular. It was different from the normal interaction that the king had with Nehemiah. And that was his emotion came out after four months. His heart and what he was thinking and what he was feeling and what he was uh, mourning about was on his face. Nehemiah said, sad in the presence of the king. But that wasn't what was normal. He was waiting on the Lord, but he was waiting on the Lord through faithful fulfillment of roles. If we're going to fulfill our calling, then husbands, we're to faithfully love our wives. We're to faithfully raise our children. We're to faithfully do what is required of us each and every day. We live in a fallen world with the effects of sin everywhere. And our promises are not Nehemiah's promises, but our God is the same God as Nehemiah's. And that God is faithful to fulfill his promise. And God will work everything for our good. He will complete what he has started. He will sanctify us. He will be with us. He will give us joy and peace. And so we can faithfully serve with joy Trusting that the Lord will work in that. First Corinthians chapter 4 says, What's required of a steward? It's simply to be faithful. Draws a picture. Paul, in his use of words, draws a picture of a, of a, of a boat. 
And the, 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 the person in the boat, he beats a drum. And when that drum beat goes, we row. And every beat of the drum, we row. We're faithful. We hear what God tells us to do, and we do it. We can do what we need to do, fulfill our responsibilities as we wait on the Lord. Nehemiah was able to declare in verse 3, let the king live forever. He was able to protect the king, seek the king's welfare with a joyful spirit because of his dependence on God, for he knew God would work in the midst of his faithfulness. A second example of diligence, dependent diligence, is seen at the end of verse 4. His dependence on God is seen in his continual and varied praying. Nehemiah had not stopped praying his chapter 1 prayer. He had not stopped going into his prayer chamber early in the morning or late at night to plead with the Lord concerning the ruins of his city. He had not stopped turning his attention to what he knew to be a true God. He had been praying for months, for four months. But he also demonstrated his dependence through this short, quick Spontaneous prayer found in verse 4. I love this prayer. Then the Lord said to me, or then the king said to me, what would you request? So I prayed to the God of heaven. Verse 4's prayer is very, very different from the prayer of chapter 1, verses 5 through 11. His eyes were probably not closed. He probably didn't make this list of all the things that God was. He went help which speaks to this fact that he's doing both of these at the same time, and it's this balanced prayer approach. James Montgomery Boyce described it as a rapid heavenward plea. The discipline of prayer is exactly that, a discipline. It is a work, a task. It is an effort on our part, and it is something that we do continually and regularly, and that is a dependence it is a diligence that's, that, 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 that manifests itself in. It's a dependence that manifests itself in diligence, sorry. Nehemiah's effort demonstrated his dependence because he knew it was how God works in us and how he uses, what he uses to accomplish his will in our lives. That could be a long, private prayer, or it could be a short plea, help. Finally, the third example of dependent diligence is seen at the end of our passage, mainly in the white spaces. So whenever I say that, you should be a little concerned. His dependence on God is seen in his planning to be used of God. Again, while Nehemiah was praying for these last four months, he was also planning. He was also acquiring information. He was also preparing himself to be ready for that conversation. While, while, while he was praying, he was acquiring information. He had a single fixed goal of rebuilding the walls and gates of Jerusalem, and he sought to put a plan together to accomplish that goal as God moved in the heart of the king. We can see from his interaction with Artaxerxes that he gathered information during his morning fasting praying season of those four months. Look at verse 6. The king said to me, the queen sitting beside her. Just a side note, 
The word queen there possibly is speaking of the, the mother queen, which wouldn't be his wife. It would be his mother, which was most likely Esther. So there's a possibility. We won't spend too much time on that. But there's a possibility that Esther is sitting in the room, uh, which is pretty interesting. How long will your journey be, and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me, and I gave him a definite time. A definite time? Yeah, because he figured out how much needed to be done and how long it would take to be done to accomplish this task. Look at verse 7. And he said to the king, If it please the king, let letters be given me for the governors of the provinces beyond the river that they may allow me to pass through until I come to Judah. Verse 7, we see that he had thought out possible obstacles that he would need to overcome and that he would need letters of safe travel. This guy had thought it out. He knew what he needed. He had planned to accomplish God's task. He was thinking planning, strategizing. Verse 8, And a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress which is by the temple, for the wall of the city, and for the house to which I will go. He thought out what he would need for the supplies. When the opportunity came, he was ready because he had been involved in planning. As you think about the calling that you have been called in the Lord, are you diligent to plan, to strategize? Hebrews chapter 10 says this, Consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. The author of Hebrews is saying, you don't just do it. You plan it. You, you, you strategize. You put it in your calendar. You organize yourself to accomplish these tasks. Our diligence is seen in our schedules, in our strategizing how to succeed in these areas. The old adage, those who fail to plan, play, plan to fail, is a true statement. And that is a true statement even in our spiritual pursuits. God works in and through us as we are faithfully accomplishing what we are called to do, and we diligently do those things through planning, and Nehemiah demonstrated that perfectly. We're to be diligent to serve, diligent to evangelize, diligent to disciple, diligent to pursue purity, all the while looking to God for strength and direction. At the end of our passage, Artaxerxes not only grants Nehemiah's request, but he also exceeds the request by providing army officials and mounted support in verses 9 and 10. It it makes me think of Paul's words in Ephesians that he went above and beyond all that we could ask or think. But but what I want to focus on is verse 8. With all his diligence... Look at what Nehemiah attributes the success to in verse 8. Even with all of his planning, even with all of his praying, even with all of his faithful plotting, it was because of the good hand of God upon me. Nehemiah recognized that he was the doer and the worker. 
Not Artaxerxes who granted and paid for it. Not Nehemiah who was brave enough to ask. It was God. And Nehemiah interpreted his answered requests as answered prayer. That God had worked. As we pursue our calling in Christ, as we seek to evangelize, as we seek to, to disciple, as we seek purity and righteousness in our life, we must follow this example laid out for us by Nehemiah. And we must strike this proper balance of dependency and diligence. We must turn to him in dependence, knowing that it is through him and him alone that we will accomplish all that we are pursuing. But we must also discipline ourselves for the purpose of godliness, knowing that God will work in and through us as we strive to accomplish all that he has set out to do. We must practice a dependent diligence in our Christian walk. Let me close by reading from Colossians chapter 1 as Paul is describing how he went about ministry. It says in verse 28 of chapter 1, And we proclaim him, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man complete in Christ. And for this purpose, I also labor, striving. So there's the diligence. According to his power, which mightily works within me. Let's pray. Father, we see the task at hand before us. We see the difficulty of it. We recognize the opposition. We recognize our own frailty. And Lord, we know that it is our calling to present our lives as holy and living sacrifices to you. And so in that pursuit, Lord, we ask that we would have that we would strike this balance of dependency through prayer, dependency through going to your word, dependency on taking advantage of the means that you have provided for us, but also, Lord, that we would work, that we would effort, that we would sweat, that we would plan, that we would strategize, that we would seek to accomplish those very things with our own toil. Help us to to not go on one side or the other, but to stay and strike that perfect balance. We pray in Christ's name, amen.